Welcome back to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. On this week's episode, we have a guest host. So please be the same respectful audience you are for me and enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Heidi. Imagine kicking back while a HIPAA compliant AI scribe writes your soap notes for free. Yes, you heard us right. Heidi is free. I'm Dr. Tom, Heidi's CEO and founder, and we started Heidi to stop clinicians wasting their life on clinical documentation. Heidi transforms your consult babble into crisp, clear soap notes, personalizing itself with every edit. One day, Heidi will be your AI resident, looking through research, explaining plans, and doing anything you don't want to. If you currently pay for an AI scribe in your practice, you should swap to Heidi. We'll even credit you for anything you've already paid. Dive into the description for the link and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Sign up and watch Heidi work its magic all for free because you've got better things to do. Hello, I'm your host, Dr. Christine Goins, and today we have an amazing guest with us, Dr. Delia Caramante. She is an integrative palliative medicine physician and medical educator. She's the founder of the Integrative Palliative Institute, through which she supports and trains physicians, clinicians, and organizations who care for families facing serious illness. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Today, we're honored to have you here, Dr. Caramante, as our guest. Thank you so much for having me. Can you share with us just your journey in becoming a medical educator and establishing the Integrative Palliative Institute? Sure. So I, from the beginning, even when I started out as a family doctor, really the part that I loved the best was educating. And I think it started out as educating families and patients about their condition. I just saw the power of education to change the way people feel in terms of control over their own destiny. And I loved that. And then when I joined a residency program at that time in family medicine, my favorite part of the whole experience was the one-on-one -on -one teaching with residents and then teaching residents in a group. And just seeing how people can go from doing an okay job to doing an amazing job with what you share, it made me feel like there's much more impact that I can make in educating a bunch of other clinicians who then see a bunch of patients than I can only make myself in the exam room, just me and the patients. Absolutely. That is so beautiful. It's like the power of being able to extend yourself through the knowledge that you provide to other people. Yes, exactly that. So beautiful. And what would you say are specific skills that you honed or developed and also utilized to become successful in being a medical educator? I think in education in general, maybe a surprising skill that I think is one of the most important is empathy. And what I mean by that is if I go out there to teach and I, my goal is to show you all the things that I know. Let me show you all that I know. Those are not very effective teachers. The people who are effective teachers or educators are the people who think, what does the listener need? Who are they? What level are they? What are they struggling with? What 
are they staying away from because they're afraid they have no idea how to do it? So they're just not learning it at all. So what do they need to be better and give them that instead of me just puffing up all the things that I know? And I think that's what makes a really excellent educator. And part of the empathy is that then you receive information back, right? You watch them. Are they listening? Are they getting it? Do they look confused? And so then you change what you were going to say because you want to make sure that they get it. So I think in education in general, being empathetic, meaning thinking about the needs of the person who's going to receive your product, whether you're doing it in person or if you're making an educational product that people are going to watch on their own, who are they? What do they need? How can I listen to make sure I really understand who they are, and what they need, and then give them that? So it's more about them than it is about me. Wow, that is so insightful. And it sounds like something that we utilize with patient care all the time as well. It's like utilizing that same skill in a different way as it extends to education. And this idea of not centering ourselves. It's not about us. Right? It's not about us. <laughs> Surprise. But it's really about the people that we're trying to serve and what they need and that focus. So it's not surprising that with that type of insight, you serve as an executive editor at McGraw-Hill Education. You know, you've published textbook chapters in the fields of integrative and palliative medicine, and you also offer CMEs to physicians and other clinicians around integrative symptom management. How did you find and secure opportunities as a medical educator? Yeah. So there's really two paths that I'm taking. One is an employed path and one is an entrepreneurial path. And I'm doing both at the moment. The I'll talk about the employed one first. That's for McGraw-Hill. So I found, I was working as a clinical doctor, as an inpatient and outpatient palliative care doctor during COVID, the kind of worst beginning times of COVID when everybody was dying, no one knew what to do. There were no vaccines. And I'll tell you the truth that I did that for a year-ish and for multiple reasons, I felt like I wanted a different way to be a doctor after that. And so I just looked around. And I think the biggest thing to say about that is you're not trapped. Like whatever you're doing as a doctor right now, if you love it, that's amazing. Keep doing it. But if you don't love it, there's a gazillion different ways to be a doctor. So I just went home one day. It was a particularly bad day. I had a issue with administrators that was yucky. And I was like, you know, I got to look and see what else there is. And it turns out there's a lot. There are a lot of options. So I happened to to wander onto a website called, I think it's lookforzebras.com. Very close. If you, if you Google that, you'll find it. It's non-clinical jobs for physicians. And so there happened to be a position available for a medical educator. And I had already tons of experience doing medical education at the University of Maryland. I was the director of education for the Center for Integrative Medicine. I've held some national positions in medical education, but I'd never made that the focus of my total work. But I thought, you know what, Let me, let's try this out. And it turns out that there were a bunch of options. And they're even now looking at other, not just McGraw-Hill, but um, other medical student board study companies like Osmosis, et cetera. Now that I'm in the world, there are a fair amount of jobs that show up for various kinds of content creators or medical editors, et cetera. So for people who are interested in the medical education editing kind of field, 
You just have to get outside of looking at hospital kind of jobs. You have to look at other company jobs and you can look at these websites or you could just go to the website of the company themselves. So if you Google, you know, medical study for medical boards, all the companies that have paid to have their pop-ups, go look at all of those companies' websites in the employment section. They hire a lot of doctors. Beautiful, beautiful. And so that would be an example of the entrepreneurial path, like going to the websites and looking for it, or, or is that more the employment path? That's the employed path. And then in addition to that, I started the Integrative Palliative Institute. And the point of that for me was I was practicing. First, I used to practice integrative medicine and separately palliative medicine. I'm boarded in palliative medicine and certified in integrative medicine. And then when I really realized, as I was the division chief for integrative palliative medicine in a community hospital, I realized they should be together. And so this idea of whole person care for families facing serious illness, that's palliative care, using all the tools that work. So that's adding complementary medicine, integrative medicine tools. So we use medicines for sure, radiation procedures, but also meditation, guided imagery, acupuncture, massage, various counseling techniques. Why would you not use all the tools to help the families reduce their suffering? So we had this little gem of a program. And what I realized is Nobody else really was doing this. Integrative palliative medicine is barely a thing. There, I know maybe two other people who are even in this realm. But in my opinion, any doctor who takes care of people with serious illness should learn this integrative whole person way to reduce their suffering because there's stuff you can do. Like we see people with chronic pain and go, oh my gosh, I don't want to increase their opiates. There's nothing I can do. Wrong, 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 wrong. There's so much you can do. And so kind of what we were talking about before, I felt like, gosh, I can keep doing this for, you know, eight patients a day, 10 patients a day, or I can teach other physicians and other clinicians how to do it so that more people are reducing more patients' suffering. And so I created a course in integrative symptom management. So for any person who has pain, nausea, fatigue, constipation, anxiety, depression, things that are a little harder to treat. What I teach with CME is an integrative approach. So not alternative. I'm all for medicines. We talk about medicines too, but also evidence-supported complementary modalities to help physicians make their patients better because then not only the patient feels better, but the physician feels better too. Wow. That is so beautiful. And especially as a as an integrative psychiatrist, I could completely relate to that <laughs> desire to really bring forth this whole person approach to healing. And especially in an area like palliative care, where you don't see that as much. So that's really, really beautiful. And how did you get the courage to go out and pursue that entrepreneurial path? Because a lot of times when we don't see what we're thinking of already out there, there can be some apprehension. They can, there can be different thoughts that come up. So what allowed you to move forward with the Institute? Well, you know, it's funny. I think it's probably because I was working in palliative care. So people sometimes think, oh, palliative care, that must be depressing. So it's not just end-of-life care. It's people with serious illness, but it's people with who are facing one way or another their mortality, like either it's coming or it could come. And when you work with that population, what it makes you realize is two things. One, life can be short. It is short. You don't even know how short. Who knows, right? Who knows how much time any of us have? And also, stupid things don't matter. 
So if I try something and I fail, whatever. So I tried it and I failed. Who cares? I, you know, if I don't know what I'm doing and I do it messy and people say that's messy, whatever. Who cares? You know, like I won't die. So it just helps you put things in perspective. So, you know, was I certain about what I was doing? Absolutely not. And still, I'm still learning, but I just came at it with a feeling of like, life is short. If I have an urge to try a thing, I should try it. And I'll learn from other people who know more than me and I'll be humble and I'll try and I'll make mistakes and that won't kill me. And, you know, whatever, it's fine. So it's really from that perspective of just get all the juice out of life that you can right now, because none of us have forever. And we might as well do the things that we feel called to do, even if we don't really know what we're doing. We learn it. It's okay. Yes. Yes. That's such a a fresh perspective. And I can see how it aligns with what you said earlier about, you know, if you are in a place within medicine, you're not trapped. There are these plethora, right, of opportunities, um, plethora of, you know, abilities that that you have, skills that you have that you can transfer and translate in so many ways, just as you have. And there's things that you could create if you can't find, you know, the job that you want, you can create it. And, and that's a, a beautiful way. Exactly. I had a, a person that I worked with, a men- who I consider a mentor, say something to me once that I thought was really important. At the time, it was before I, I was practicing integrative palliative medicine. I was in the associate director of a center for integrative medicine, and I'd gotten boarded in palliative medicine. And I was whining a little bit like, oh, how I tried to find someone who's doing these two things together, who can teach me how to do it together. I can't find anything. She said, listen, you just make a box and then you stand in it. So you make a box, call it integrative palliative medicine, then stand in it and then do it. And then you become the integrative palliative medicine person. And so that's what I did. And so I have people now reach out to me who say, oh, we need someone, you know, I have an integrative fellowship. We want to teach someone to teach about palliative medicine. We found you and we heard you're the person for integrative palliative medicine, which makes me laugh because really I just made a box and then I stood in it. And it's true. And so just do it. Like we shouldn't be afraid. We shouldn't say, oh, there's already no box. I can't find a box. Make your own box. Yeah, I love that. Make your own box, stand in it. And then you become the authority in the space that you created for yourself. For real. Yeah, you do. And then, so I just, just this couple of weeks ago, it just came out. I wrote a book, Coping Courageously, A Heart-Centered Guide for Navigating a Loved One's Illness Without Losing Yourself. And I didn't know how to write a book, but I was the same philosophy. I'll just write a book because in there, I shared all that I've learned from my patients about how to deal with the hardest stuff. You know, how do you deal when someone's told you that you have a stage four cancer, but it's, you're not dying right now. Like, how do you go back to your life? How do you deal with a family when everybody's got to make decisions together about mom or dad and everybody has a different opinion and they're all fighting and no one will talk to each other? How do you do that? right? How do you get the best medical care? How do you deal with your own feelings? What if you have problems with the person that you have to take care of? How do you even deal with that? How do you deal with your own darkness and your own guilt or shame? Or how do you avoid regret? All this stuff that I don't think is talked about as much, but there's a lot of things that you can do that make a hard time not quite so hard. And I learned it from my own life as a caregiver. I learned it from my patients. And so 
I was just like, well, I'll just write a book. I don't know what that means or how to do it, but I'm just going to do it anyway. So that's what I would say. Make your own boxes. And if you have a calling, a pull to do a thing, just do the thing. Who cares? You might suck and that's okay. Just do it anyway, because you never know where it's going to bring you, right? Where the next thing will bring you. And if you stood still, you're not getting anywhere. To get the most out of your career as a physician, you need an employment contract that supports you. Unfortunately, most contracts do not initially include everything you need to be successful. Employers draft contracts with their best interests in mind, but the terms that benefit your employer are rarely as valuable to you. Before signing an employment contract, you should always make sure your salary, bonuses, paid time off, and other terms are fair. Resolve is the one and only place you can get live salary data so you know exactly what's happening in your specialty at all times. The best part of the data is that it's verified from real physician contracts. With access to data on what physicians like you are earning, you know when you're being underpaid and can confidently ask for what you deserve. In addition to providing data, they're the number one firm specializing in physician employment contracts. They work with every specialty nationwide. At Resolve, you get connected with an experienced attorney who will work with you one-on-one to ensure you sign with confidence. Your attorney will take your priorities into account, address concerns, make suggestions, and help you strategize for any negotiation. They can even negotiate with an employer on your behalf. So whether you're a seasoned attending or just finished training, Resolve is here to support you in every step of the way. Visit resolve.com to learn more and discover how to sign your ideal employment contract. Resolve, your trusted partner for physician contract review, negotiations, and salary data. That's so inspirational. So I'm excited and I'm really glad that you were courageous in your own journey enough to bring forth this book because it sounds like it would be, and it is, so important and impactful, especially for people who are either going through their own journey or, you know, helping someone else go through the journey of dealing with a serious illness, but also for people who aren't, because we all are, you know, going through moments, right, where we have to cope and where we have to be courageous. And it would be really nice to know how to navigate that even before coming to a place where we feel that it might be the end of our lives. A hundred percent. Yeah, pretty almost everything that I talk about is also appropriate just for life, just because things are hard. One little tip that I use for myself all the time, but I also use for patients, is I don't like blank, but at least blank, right? Or if you like the word hate, I hate blank, but at least blank. So I, I don't like that My boss yelled at me, but at least I have Monday off, right? Or I don't like that I got diagnosed with that terrible illness, but at least I have a great family. They don't even have to be connected at all. I don't like that I got yelled at in that meeting, but at least there's chocolate ice cream when I get home, right? It can be completely unrelated. And the point of it is that both things are true in life all the time. There's a yucky part and there's a better part. And if we focus all our attention on the yucky part, we just feel worse. It's the same. It's still yucky, right? Like it's the same, but we feel worse. But we have to be careful not to have toxic positivity, which is whitewash everything. Oh, everything's great. Only focus on the great things because 
that yucky part is still there. It still feels heavy. Now we just covered it up and squashed it. And that's not good either. So that I don't like blank, but at least blank makes space for both. Like there's a thing I don't like, but then I just turn my view a little bit over here to look at, but at least it stopped raining, or at least I go to a good parking place, or at least the flowers are out. Just helps you practice making space for both things, the yucky parts and also the more beautiful ones, because that's just life. Absolutely. It's, it's really the beauty of embracing all of it, embracing the entire experience. I'm wondering, have you encountered any unexpected challenges or benefits in your role as a medical educator? Sure. I think initially, especially from an entrepreneurial perspective, when you think, oh, I have so much wonderful knowledge to share, you know, you think all you have to do is show up with all this wonderful stuff and a million people will come flocking your way. Of course, what I've learned is that's not how it works for anybody at all. So I've had to learn this whole different skill set of putting myself out there and marketing, if you want to call it that, which was not a skill set that I had before. And I think it's been interesting. So, you know, to use that little phrase I just used. So I, I don't love that I have to focus on marketing, but it has forced me in a good way to put myself out there more, which Turns out there's a whole personal growth part of that, right? Like you have to get some internal self-esteem. You have to be willing to take risks. You can't hide. And that's good personal growth that I might not have made otherwise if I didn't have to do it. So I would say learning marketing skills. I wasn't in my head thinking, now I'm going to learn marketing skills. But that is part of the process. And it's okay. And then the other great part is I've met a ton of people, you know, like I never really used LinkedIn before at all now because I need to get the word out about my book and, you know, the stuff that I do connect with people on LinkedIn. But those are awesome people. And I keep meeting all these amazing people and then have them on my own podcast and I make connections. And I wouldn't have done that if I didn't have to learn marketing. So there's a lot of good that has come from even the challenging parts. I feel like it ducktails so much with what you were talking about earlier in your book and all of the things that we've kind of been talking about, the, the encompassing all of it together. There's the challenges, there's the benefits, there's the positive, there's the, if you want to call it negatives or not so exciting size of, <laughs> of whatever it is, sides of everything, but it's really embracing all of it and it sounds like one of the things that you did, even with talking about marketing, has also been an entrepreneur. I know that that can be daunting, like just starting out doing it. But there, like you said, there's so much growth that comes from that experience. So many lessons. It's a lot of personal growth. Yeah, it's much more than I expected. I wouldn't, I, I expected that I would learn about marketing, but I didn't expect that by learning about marketing, reading business books, et cetera, that I personally would grow in that way. It's like an external source for an inner transformation. It's so much can happen with that. With your work in medical education, is most of it remote? Is some of it in person or, or how is it balanced? So that's the greatest thing. That's the real blessing of it all. Previously, I had just worked in person which, you know, has all the restrictions that working in person has. And now I am essentially fully remote. I mean, every now and again, I'll do an in-person talk because I do also get invited to give speeches. So sometimes those are in person, but mostly my work is remote. And so not only does that allow me 
to be in my home a lot of the time, which I love with my new dog. I have a new rescue dog, so that's amazing. But also, we have a little cabin in West Virginia, so I can work from there. And this past summer, my family, my husband and my two young adult daughters, we went to Italy. My husband had to come back for work when the vacation was over. My one daughter had to come back for in-person work. The other one was off school. So she just went traveling. And I realized, why do I have to come actually? I just assumed like in the beginning, like, we'll all come back and we'll go back to work. And then I realized, wait, I work remotely. So I actually stayed for several weeks alone. Everybody else left. And I worked from Italy and I worked US time. So that meant basically 2 p.m. to midnight. So I got up in the morning when I felt like it. I went for a walk in this cute little town, Bergamo, where we were. I had a coffee and then I would start work in the afternoon just because I could. And it was an unbelievable experience to just do that because I wanted to. It was really, really powerful. It made me very much appreciate remote work. It's really such a shift when you realize that you really can design your life any way that you want. And it's, it's amazing to be able to wake up slow, decide how you want your day to be, shift gears in the middle of the day if you decide you want something else, really be able to explore the communities and the spaces that you're in. It's, it's such a blessing. It's really beautiful. It's unbelievable. And looking back, I don't feel like I ever knew this was a thing. You know, it just felt like this is what you do. You're, you have to do it this way. And if you're exhausted, it's too bad. This is what this job is to be a doctor. You have to do it this way. And you don't have to do it this way. So I'm still a doctor. I still use my medical knowledge. The work that I do, both employed and as an entrepreneur, you couldn't do if you weren't a doctor. So I don't feel like I'm not a doctor using my knowledge, but I have created a life that is terrific for me, you know, compared to, to how stressful it was before. And life is short. Again, like, why do we have to be extraordinarily stressed until our last breath? Like, you don't get any extra points for that, right? So we might as well, early as, as early as we can in our life, make a life that we enjoy. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's the enjoyment, the freedom that it creates, that flexibility. And it's also the impact. Because as you mentioned earlier, you've been able to be so much more impactful and you've been able to really leverage your skills and your expertise through educating other people. A hundred percent. And truly, if I were still working 60 hours a week, I couldn't write a book, right? So this book is both for families, patients and families, but also for clinicians to help them counsel families about that. So I feel like, and from the feedback I've gotten, that it really can help a ton of people, way more people than I could ever touch personally. And if I had been working 60 hours a week in the hospital, I would not have had time to write the book. I couldn't have done it. So ironically, stepping away from that, in a way, increased my impact. You would think that it decreased my impact, but in some ways it increased my impact. And it's so beautiful, the idea of stepping back from something kind of relaxing, the letting go, the creating the vacuum really allows, you know, the universe, God, whatever source you you choose to put in that space to bring to you what you really desire, what you're really hoping for and wanting. It's an amazing experience. 
It's totally true. And it's energetic, really. When you're exhausted and you're in a job that makes you feel tight and small, you're like, you know, you feel like this, right? And when you have more space, you feel more like this. And it's not that every moment is blissful, but just I don't feel heavy and tight anymore. I feel lighter and more open. And I think that allows experiences to come our way more. For sure. It's allowing you to be more expansive and more of what you want gravitates to you when you're in that that space. I think that's true. I really think that's true. And or at least you can see it, you know, when you're so tight and your eyes are scrunched closed, you, even if it's wandering by some opportunity, you miss it. You can't see it. Yes, that's absolutely true. What advice do you have, Dahlia, for doctors who really want to transition to medical education, remote medical education? And just as you have, like incorporate more travel into their lives while doing it. Yeah, I think go after other options, other ways to be a doctor. And so the first thing is you have to believe that you're not trapped because when you feel like you're trapped, then you won't take the steps that are necessary to make it happen because it's both, you know, work and maybe the universe brings you things, but if you're in the wrong space, it's not going to bring you that stuff. So first you have to believe that there's another way. Then I would say, depending on what speaks to you, you know, look into the other kinds of ways you can be a doctor. There's, there's insurance companies, there's pharmaceutical companies, there's legal stuff, there's education. What speaks to you? And then go after it, which means don't just think, Oh, I wish I could do that, but I heard you have to have more experience, so I won't make any action. Because if you do that, you won't change. That's a fact, right? You have to go to their websites, contact people, contact them again, ask them, what do I, what would I need to do in order to be the kind of applicant that you would want? Do you have any other people that I might reach out to that you think this might be a good fit for? So ask, 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 reach out to people, be willing to be turned down and take action. So when I came home on that day, when I decided I had a very yucky experience with the administration and said, you know what, I got to make a new plan. And I looked at that website, it was 11 at night. And I saw this job for being a medical editor at the time it was Boards of Beyond, which got acquired by McGraw-Hill, which is how it worked for McGraw-Hill. And it was 11 at night and I was tired. And it said, submit your application. And I like got stuck for a minute. I thought, I do not want to do this right now. <clears throat> I am so tired. I could do it tomorrow. But I know if I did it tomorrow, first of all, I wouldn't have done it tomorrow, but also, you know, 50 other people would have gotten there before me. So I stayed up and I fixed up my CV so that it had an education focus. And it took me about two hours, but I stayed up and I submitted it. And that week I got the job. And in the following week, there were almost a hundred other people who applied, but he'd already given it to me. And so what I learned from that is take action. Don't, because I could have said, I could have not done it, waited three days and then gone, oh, I didn't get the job. Well, you know, you didn't get the job because you went to bed instead of staying up and doing it right then. So you have to take action and you might have to take it again and again and again. But you first believe that you can have something else, you're not trapped, and then you look for opportunities. And then when you see an opportunity, you take really intensive action to go after it. And if that doesn't work, you take action for the next thing. And you will end up in a different place. You will if you do that. Wow. Thank you so much, Dr. Dahlia. Thank you for your incredible wisdom and knowledge that you share with us today, because 
that sounds like such an amazing path to getting what you want. You know, we could dream and we could wish and we can hope. But at some point, we need to take the first step towards what it is that we actually want. And it doesn't mean that it's 100% just going to jump into our laps after that. But there's a transformation. There's something that's also happening in that process, even when challenges come up, so that when we get to that place, which is always going to be evolving anyway, when we, when we get to that place, we show up for the thing that we really wanted. We show up with who, being who we want to be, being our dream. So thank you so much. Before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts, advice for our physician listeners who, you know, aspire to both serve and to live their dream lives? Absolutely. I, I would say intentionally expand yourself, you know, and, and expand yourself in the direction that speaks to you. And if you don't know what that is, it doesn't even matter. Expand yourself in some way that doesn't seem unappealing to you. So learn something, learn new counseling skills, learn new education skills, learn about non-clinical careers, learn the guitar, learn a new language. Just when we feel small and tight, we feel trapped and life feels yucky. And it doesn't have to feel that way, but you have to open up to new experiences and just start having them. So even if you feel like, oh, you know, I'm so exhausted. I have this other job. I can't do anything. You want to learn a language? Do Duolingo. I do that. I'm trying to learn Italian. So like that's three minutes a day, right? Just do something that speaks to the other part of you, even if it's a tiny, tiny bit every day, because it'll remind you that there's another way that you can live your life. It'll be at least one baby step in that direction. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Just one step, tiny step. It could be three minutes a day towards the life that you want. For those who are wanting to learn more from the incredible Dr. Delia Caramante, where can our listeners find you and your book, Coping Courageously? Yes, thank you so much. So the, they can find me at Dr. Delia. So spelled out Dr. D-E-L-I-A dot com. And you'll get to all of about me, but also about what I offer to train clinicians. So the reason I pick those topics is because when we help our patients, we feel better. And so this are tools to help your patients feel better. So you can find all that there. The book, you can go to copingcourageously.com, but also you can go right to Amazon and put in Coping Courageously and you'll get, you'll get the opportunity to purchase the book. And I really would suggest it, any clinician and if you have somebody in your life who is facing a family illness, you might consider sending it to them or buying it for yourself or buying it for your patients, buying it for your staff. I have people who are have read it, physicians, and are now buying it for all of their staff so that they can understand what the patients are going through. If you have a lending library in your clinician office, maybe put a copy there and reach out. If there's any way that I can help you, I'm always happy to talk to people who are on the journey. So reach out anytime. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Dr. Delia. Thanks for being with us. We so appreciate your journey that you shared and your expertise. It's been so helpful. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So that concludes today's episode of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Delia Caramante's journey expertise has been so helpful. Until next time. Thanks again from Heidi. Elevate your practice with a free AI scribe, zero cost, HIPAA compliant, and time saving. Ready to swap? We've got you covered for past AI scribe expenses.
Head to HeidiHealth.com, get started, and make your practice the envy of every stethoscope in town. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please, share it, or like it, or comment on a social media post, or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee, and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice, or financial advice, or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.